All right. Last time we were together, we looked at John's Gospel, chapter 8, and we looked at the first 11 verses where it talked about the woman who was caught in adultery. And that was a very difficult passage, I think, for all of us, because at some point, every, uh, adultery has touched us in some way, all of us in this room. Whether it's by the actual physical act of adultery, or fornication for that matter, or if it was just spiritual adultery, it affects us all, and it ruins, it ruins lives. There's a member in my family who's been married five times, and he's just a few years older than I am. And I've seen firsthand the, 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 the destruction of adultery and fornication. Not only in, in that life, but also in my own life, I've seen it um, before I came to Christ. <laughs> but um, the Pharisees, if you remember, they were trying so hard to trip Jesus up. They were trying to destroy him. They tried to seek a way to trick him and to have something against him that they might put him to death. Jesus was bad for business. And Jesus is bad for most businesses if their business is not focused and grounded in him. I would encourage you that everything you do, in word or in deed, do all to the glory of Jesus Christ. And you will be blessed. It doesn't mean that you're going to be without hardship. We know that the Bible says that for all who walk godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. But you will have the blessed assurance that you are right with God and doing what he calls you to do. And he is faithful to take care of you and to protect you and to guide you even during the hard times. He will not leave you nor forsake you even to the end of the age. And I don't know about you, but that's a really great thing. Something we need to remember. But this morning we're going to be looking at this, uh, hopefully finishing the chapter, Lord willing. And uh, we're going to be looking at this passage in verse 12, where Jesus said that he is the light of the world. And I want to ask you this morning, what is it or who is it that keeps you on this narrow path? On the narrow path that you're walking on right now as a Christian, who is leading you? Who is protecting you and keeping you on that path? Is it your own intellect? Is it your schooling, your own natural drive for success? Is it your schooling, your pedigree? Is it your own goodness? Is there anyone who's born good here this morning? I wasn't born good. <laughs> in fact, the Bible has condemned us all under sin, hasn't it? Isn't that a great message you hear on Sunday morning? You know, many churches today, you go and you hear things that just make you feel good. Well, I'm here to tell you some bad news and then some good news, and we mix it all together because guess what? That's the truth, isn't it? That is the truth. The Bible condemns sin. And I am a sinner, and so are you. But we have been forgiven we have been changed, and we're being conformed right now to the very image of our Savior Jesus, who paid the price, willingly laying down his life for us. Who is it that's keeping you on your narrow path this morning? Is it your own ingenuity, your own talents? Well, I can say that it is not. It is Jesus he is the one who keeps us on that path. In fact, the Bible says that we have this hope. He's the anchor of our souls. The anchor, an anchor speaks of something that's steadfast, unmovable, 
When I am anchored in Christ, there is nothing that can take that anchor off the seafloor. I remember being out in the Gulf of Mexico many years ago, and you've heard me share this uh, uh, before, but we were away from shore, and the water was fairly shallow, only 25 or 30 feet deep, and we threw out the anchor in in southwest Florida there on the Gulf of Mexico. The the ground, for the most part, uh, under the ocean is just sandy bottom. And so we threw out the anchor, and we were fishing, and for fishing for a couple of hours, and we had no idea that the anchor was dragging the whole time, and we were several miles away from where we thought, and we were away from land, so we couldn't see. But then we realized later that we were quite a bit off, off, off kilter, if you will. But see, that's, the, that's, the, that's everything in the world. That anchor that's dragging across the sand is everything else in the world apart from Christ. He is your only anchor of your soul. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't hide it. Acknowledge it and rest in it and, and, and rely on him. He is the anchor. Amen? He is your anchor. Never let your anchor, and you don't have to worry about letting it. He, he, he is, his anchor is secure. He is sure. He's not going anywhere. He is the rock of our salvation, the Petra of our salvation. He is the rock that is immovable. And he is the captain of our salvation, the Bible says. I like that. I'm getting awful, awfully nautical this morning. But he is the captain of our ship. My ship was sinking until there was a, until there was a, uh, what's the word I want? A coup, or what, what do they call it? A, a pirate ship. You guys know this. A mutiny, yes, there was a mutiny, but it was a willing mutiny. I gave up my, my desire, and the Lord took control of the, of the helm, and I'm the much better for it, and all of you are as well. But notice in verse 12, Jesus spoke to them. He's speaking to the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, the very people that brought this woman to Christ, caught in the very act of adultery. Wasn't Jesus so kind to her? Wasn't he so... Um, He wasn't dismissing the truth about what had happened and what was true in her life. No, he didn't dismiss it. But he was merciful. They wanted blood vengeance, and Jesus says, go and sin no more. Meaning, yes, you have sinned, but go and sin no more. And I bet you that woman was very changed from the moment she left Jesus. She was one of his disciples. And now her heart was captured. She was caught in the net. There I am being nautical again. She took the bait when he threw out the hook. And she ran with it, and she swallowed the hook. Deep down in her in herself, I'm getting really weird now. Um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> so, the them is for the scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus said to them, again, he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of light. I am so sick of walking in darkness when you walk in darkness for any length of time, isn't it true how you just, eventually it catches up to you and you realize that the wages of sin is truly death. Certainly it's going to lead to a spiritual death if I don't repent of it, but even a physical death and even death in, the, in, the, in relationships, a death within myself where I don't even have any enjoyment of life anymore because I'm hooked on this and I'm hooked on that and I'm dependent on this and dependent on that and my life is just a complete mess. Can anybody relate to that? Just say Amen. Because I was there, and I know that for a fact. But when you walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. 
And I hope you've all experienced that to its fullest, and we will continue to experience this. But Jesus said, I am the light of the world. This is one of the seven different times in the Gospel of John where Jesus is going to use this statement of, I am. I am the bread of life. We saw that in chapter 6. I am the light of the world, he says in this verse. He's going to later on and say, I am the door of the sheep. I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. In other words, he's saying everything that a person could need, could desire, I am that. Whatever you need him to be that is genuine, that is real, he is there for you. Didn't he say, I am Emmanuel, God with you? I will never leave you or forsake you even to the end of the age. Is that true or is it not? Is it just some fairy tale that the church has made up? No, he said that. And we know that through experience. Again, not to dismiss the times that we go through hardship. He's still with you. You remember the footprints analogy, right? (laughs) There's two sets of footprints. And then all of a sudden there's one set of footprints. And the guy says, Lord, where were you when I was going through all those difficulties? You abandoned me. You just left me. He says, no, I'm the one who held you. I was walking. And I love that analogy. Again, being nautical again. There I go again. But Jesus is, when he says, I am, there is a significance to this statement. Because what Jesus was doing was signifying and affirming his deity, that he is God in the flesh. And remember when Moses met the Lord in that fiery burning, that burning bush in the desert, Remember what, the Lord, uh, what Moses said to God. He says, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your father has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name, and what shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus shall you say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Jesus affirming his deity. Whenever you see that where Jesus says, I am, that's in reference to his deity. And we're going to see today, Lord willing, that this is something that the Jews knew very well because they took up stones to stone him when he said it. They knew exactly what he was affirming, what he was saying. They knew very much what he was saying. And this is the theme of the Gospel of John, is it not? These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and believing you might have life through his name. That's what the whole summary of this whole book that we're reading is, to point to Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and in his name we would have everlasting life. But Jesus is the light of the world. You remember in the first chapter of this book where it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God this word whoever that is we know that because you guys have heard me say this the logos the word that's what it means the logos is Jesus in the beginning was Jesus and the word was and Jesus was with God and Jesus was God he was in the beginning with God And without him, nothing was made that was made. And in him was life, and the life, notice, is the light of men. Jesus is the light of the world. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. Aren't you glad for the light? It shines in darkness. And the darkness didn't even comprehend it. Isn't that a shame when something's so dark and you shine a light, it doesn't even realize the light is shining on it? That is a heart, that is a life that's in very great trouble. When the light is shown on it, it makes no difference. It's become so calloused and the, the conscience be, has become so seared 
that it has no effect. The light no longer has any influence on that life. And people are like that. They can hear the gospel over and over again, and there comes a point where their heart gets so hard, it gets like Pharaoh's, and there's, no, there, there's very little hope for that person, but for God and what he might break through. But notice in verse 6 of, of that first chapter, it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear a record or a, be a witness of the light that all through him, all through the him, the light, might believe. And John was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. This light is Jesus Christ, the light of the world. He illuminates our darkness. He takes up residence in, his heart, in our hearts by his spirit, showing us, teaching us, warning us. What are the benefits of light? <laughs> I just jotted down a few. This is by no means an exhaustive list by any means. But without light, we, we cannot see our way through the darkness. You remember what it says in Psalm 110, 105? What does it say? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. It's a, lamp unto, it's, a, it's a lamp unto my feet showing me exactly what's right in front of me and also showing me the path, illuminating the path. Not showing me the, the, the full end or all the things that are surrounding, but just keep your eyes focused on Jesus, on that narrow path that you're on. You keep focused on that, and that is the way. He's going to illuminate the path right in front of you, and he's going to be the lamp at your feet and the light under your path. And don't get distracted by everything that's going on around you, because believe me, right now, all of us are distracted by something. Is that true? I know I am. I'm not going to lie to you. But without light, we stumble over everything. Unless Jesus illuminates my heart and my mind and my, and my whole being, I, I stumble over everything. Without light, we don't even grow spiritually. Without light, without his light, we don't grow spiritually. You know, I think of plants. You know, physically, they don't grow unless there's light. They need photosynthesis to occur. That process when the sunlight comes and the, they take the carbon dioxide and the water and they synthesize that and then they produce oxygen as a result of that, that plant needs the light to grow and to function correctly. And we need the light of God's word. We need the light of the spirit of God in us to do that. Another thing that light does is exposes and it makes everything manifest. It allows us to see things the way they really are. That's what I love about truth. I know what I'm getting every single time. And I love being around people who are truthful with me because I always know where I stand. And they know where I stand. And there's, a, there's an understanding. There's no smoke and mirrors. There's no uh, emotional abuse. There's none of this weirdness that happens in so many families. What's wrong? Oh, nothing. But deep in your heart, you're like, you want to tear their head off. Nothing. Well, why don't you just get it out? Talk about it civilly. Talk. What's the matter with people today? You know, it's so easy to get behind Twitter and on your mobile phone or on your computer or your iPad or whatever it is and just be, you know, crucifying people that you'll never see, you know you'll never see. And, and we, we do all this communication, but we failed at the, 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 the real communication. What's the matter with us? Let's get back to that. I should hear an amen. I should hear like a clap or just, cl just to make me feel good. Just clap, will you? Yeah, we need to do. <laughs> no, we do. We need to get back to that. 
In John chapter 3, verse 19, Jesus said, This is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. This is true. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Light makes everything manifest, makes everything obvious for us to see. I love that. And the Bible says that the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from, this, from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of, to whom, of him to whom we must give account. God is, God's word is a light unto us. Do you remember when Christ illuminated your heart? I remember the day, and it was the happiest day of my life. But without the scriptures, without the indwelling Holy Spirit... Without Jesus Christ's atonement for sin on the cross, we would be plunged into darkness and there would be no hope for fallen man. And we would all be resigned to misery and hopelessness. And then when our life is expired, we'll spend an eternity in hell. Doesn't that sound like a great thing? No. The light of Jesus, the truth of Jesus Christ is the light. Jesus is light and he dwells in unapproachable light, doesn't he? In 2 Corinthians chapter um, uh, 4, Paul said this. He said, Since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience, notice, in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He is the light. In Genesis chapter 1, you remember that God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and so the evening and the morning were the first day. Now we go down to the fourth day of creation, and what does it say to us? Remember what I just said. He said, let there be light. Let there be light. And now, down in the fourth Day of creation in verse 14, God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens and divide to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons, for days and for years. Let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, which is the sun, and the lesser light to rule the night, which is the moon. And I love this, like a postscript. Oh, he made the stars also. You know, no big deal. Easy. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light to the earth. Now, don't you see a difference between these? In the beginning, on the first day, God says, let there be light. And now, on the fourth day of creation, he creates the, the things that give us natural light. So this must be a kind of light that is not necessarily a physical light that we see like this. 
I believe that that was the very light of Jesus Christ. The very moral, the very spiritual life. In Romans chapter 13, what does it tell us? Paul said to the Romans, And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Notice, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. He would also say, put on Christ. Put on Christ. Put on light. The same thing. Put on the light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. What an awesome passage. A moral, spiritual light, the very light of Jesus Christ. Go back into our text in verse 13. What does it say? So the Pharisees said to him, You bear witness of yourself, and your witness is not true. And Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from and where I am going. You know, Jesus was never, uh, he never had an identity crisis. Are you suffering from an identity crisis or going through what we call a midlife crisis? Have you heard of that? Abide in Jesus Christ. Give your life to him and you'll be blessed and you'll be fulfilled. I believe the reason why people have a midlife crisis is because they don't know who they are. They don't know who they are. They don't know their purpose. They feel that they haven't achieved all the things that they had hoped to achieve. Never once asking themselves whether their goals and their, for their life was God's plan for them or not. See, I believe missing God's plan for your life is the crisis. I had a crisis until I came to Christ, and then my crisis departed. Because now I know who I really was, and it had nothing to do with me. I was in him now, and he had a plan for my life that's still unfolding, and I love that. I love that. Do you want to know God's plan for your life? I would encourage you to get involved. Get involved in the church and in anything, and get moving. As you spend time with the Lord, as you pray, then put feet on that and get involved because a person who is moving, the Lord can steer him very easily. And that's what he did with my life. I started off cleaning toilets and washing floors and sweeping and mopping and doing all those things. And I still don't mind doing those things. But you know what? As I was moving, the Lord was working in me and opening up other doors of opportunities and other doors of opportunities, other doors of opportunities. And it just kept going and going because I was just willing to do anything. Are you willing to do anything? To serve him, not to serve Calvary Chapel, but to be willing to do anything to serve Jesus Christ. But Jesus knew who he was. And they should have known who he was. As they seen the miracles that he had performed, they should have examined his life and compared it with the scriptures that they knew very well. Believe me, the Pharisees and the scribes, they knew the scriptures, the Old Testament, better than any of us. They should have been watching. They should have been waiting. They were expectant waiting for the Messiah. And then when he finally arrives, they totally miss him. And instead of embracing him because he was stealing away their converts, instead of being happy and following along with him and being one big happy throng of, of believers, they resisted him. They were jealous of him. They wanted to murder him. 
Jesus goes on in our text in verse 15. He says, you judge according to the flesh, you Pharisees, but I judge no one. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. Notice again the oneness and the unity with the Father. Jesus came to the world that through him all might be saved. But guess what? He is going to be a returning judge because when he comes physically to the earth in his second coming, he will come back as the great judge, the lion of the tribe of Judah to bring vengeance upon all those on the earth who have rejected him. That is the truth. Jesus said the father judges no one but has committed all judgment to the son that all should honor the son just as they honor the father. And he who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Did you get that? If you don't honor the son, then you don't have the father either. You don't honor him either. There's other passages that say if you don't have the son, you don't have the father also. Well, I believe in God, but this Jesus thing, I don't know. Hey, listen, it's either Jesus or you get nothing. That's what the Bible says. It's Jesus. It's all about him. This whole book of redemption, it's all about him on every page. Didn't he say in the volume of the book, it is written of me? That's what he said. Every page, Leviticus, yes, even Leviticus, all point to Jesus in some way or fashion. You recall in Luke's gospel, Jesus It says in chapter 4, verse 16, So Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And as he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, and we know this is Isaiah 61. It says, The Spirit of the Lord has come upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on them, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Let me read to you Isaiah 61 and those up to what Jesus wrote. And he left out one thing on purpose. The last thing he said was to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. But what does it say after that in Isaiah chapter 61 verse 2? It says to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Did Jesus come to bring vengeance initially? No, he came to save. That's why he closed the book. There was a time coming where that was going to happen. We know that in the future, yet future to us, that Jesus will return to the earth. And there is going to be an accounting. He is going to be the judge of all the earth. And it's not going to be pretty. But the good news is, is that you and I are coming back with him. Because we must be removed before the great tribulation that we talked about, that we heard about in, that, uh, in the scripture, but also in the conference we looked at yesterday. That great tribulation period that we looked at in the book of Revelation. We're not here for that, folks, because God has not appointed us, the church, to wrath, but to obtain salvation. He doesn't take his bride through a war zone before he, mar- you know, he doesn't do that. Would you take your bride, guys, into a war zone? where he's going to give, bring judgment upon you? Would, you? would you do that? No, you wouldn't do that. 
and neither would God. It's not in his character. Jesus didn't say that last phrase because it was something he would accomplish, not in his first coming, but in his second coming. And notice he says, and yet if I do judge, the Greek word is krino, and um, he says, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. See, we are not to judge, but God is the perfect judge. He is the only one who's qualified and has the authority to judge righteously and justly. What does it tell us in Matthew 7? Jesus told us, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This word again is is the word krino, and it means to condemn. The idea is to distinguish, to condemn, to damn, to um, basically to pass judgment once and for all. And we are not to do that. Only God is capable of, of doing that. We do not pass judgment because we don't have the authority or the understanding to condemn anybody, to judge anyone, anybody like Jesus can. In 1 Corinthians 4, it says, But he who judges me, Paul said, is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring the light, notice, the light, the hidden things of darkness, and reveal the counsels of the heart. And then each one Each one's praise will come from God. But see, he is the judge. We are not to judge, but we are called to be fruit inspectors. I'd like to clear up something this morning that I think we get wrong. Our culture doesn't understand. We are to be fruit inspectors. In Matthew 7, verse 15, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? The obvious question or answer is no. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear good, bad fruit. I'm sorry, excuse me. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Notice, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Are we called to not see things for the way they are? No, we see things for what they are. It's okay to call a spade a spade. We have to be careful, though. Because we don't always have all the, all the information. But usually when someone says, don't judge me, what they are really saying is that they know the fruit of their doings is wrong. Whenever somebody says, don't judge me, they already, their conscience is already convicted. They know what they're doing is wrong. Don't judge me. I've heard people tell me that. Before I even say a word, I'm just in their presence, and they'll say something. They say, don't judge me. I'm like, you just did it yourself. I didn't say a thing. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. There's a conscience that we have or we know we've done wrong. And just because we may know something, know the, someone by the fruit of their doings doesn't mean that we've condemned them and, and passed judgment. God will take care of that. Even Paul in the book of Titus, what did he say? He says, one of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And notice what Paul says. This testimony is true. Did Paul judge them? No, he just called it what it was. 
See, we don't condemn people, but I need to be first a fruit inspector of my own life and also look around me and, and things in life and say, if this thing, if this thing, whatever it is, this person, if a person keeps stealing from you, you have a pretty good reason. You know them by their fruit. You can't trust them. They're a thief and a liar because that's what they are. And then someone will come and say, well, don't judge. No, no, I'm just being very obvious. Do you get the point? Because we're not condemning anybody to hell when we say that you're a thief and a liar. That's probably the truth. We're not condemning them to hell. We're just being very real, being honest. Be honest with yourselves. It's a good thing. Verse 17, back in our text, he says, It is also written in your law, he says to the Pharisees, that the testimony of two men is true. And this is where, even in our own justice system, you know, we see in Deuteronomy 19, One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity of any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every matter be established. And this is where we, even our legal system, our legal con- our code comes from the Bible. Did you know that? It, didn't, it wasn't just made up by the people in the United States, you know, our founding fathers. No, they got this from the word of God. There's safety in that. If two people say that I saw this man commit this crime, the eyewitness account of two or three people, oh my goodness, you're done. But if someone says, well, I, I, it looked like him, he was wearing the same hat, eh, it doesn't really cut it. I didn't really see him, I, it was dark, I couldn't tell. Maybe it was somebody else. That's why you get called out of work to serve in jury duty. You get to take part of that process. Jesus said in verse 18, he says, I am the one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. When did, when did the Father bear witness of Jesus Christ? When was it? At the baptism of Jesus. Remember when Jesus was baptized by his cousin, John, that the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit descending like a dove and lighting upon him and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The father breaking through and speaking audibly. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then later on in Jesus' ministry when he was transfigured on the mount with Peter, James and John, you remember what had happened. That they saw that Peter, James, and John are up there on the mountain with Jesus. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light. And Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. And then Peter, I love Peter, reminds me so much of myself. Just a big mouth. I mean, before I got, I mean, you think I'm a big mouth. Uh, back before I was saved, I, I, mean, I think I had Tourette's syndrome. Because everything that I thought just came out of my mouth. I didn't even have, there was no filter. I just kind of shared whatever I wanted, you know. And got myself into a lot of trouble. I still do that sometimes, um, but not as much anymore. But notice, they're up there, and Peter says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let's build three tents, one for you, one for Moses and Elijah. Sounds like a good plan. And that's when the cloud (laughs) overshadowed them all, and then a voice came out of heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. There's a big difference between him and Moses and Elijah right? Moses and Elijah were created things. Jesus was the uncreated one. He's the one who always existed. He never had a beginning. No one gave birth to him. He was always with the Father. 
So when they said to him, verse 19, where is your father, these scribes and Pharisees? Jesus answered, you neither know me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. See, they were thinking already that Jesus was talking about Joseph, his real father, or his, his earthly father, right? That's who they were thinking of. They were thinking that. But what does 1 John tell us? Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. In 2 John 1.9 it says, Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. In verse 20, these words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no one laid hands on him. Guess, and, and I'll underline this phrase again. We've been looking at it. For his hour had not yet come. And then Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. And where I go, you cannot come. Here Jesus obviously predicting his death. Predicting his death and his resurrection and his ascension and so the Jews said, will he kill himself because he says, where I go, you cannot come? And he said to them, you are from beneath, I am from above, and you are of this world, and I am not of this world. Now, if Jesus wasn't who he said he was, then this would be a, a patent lie, and he would deserve to be stoned for blasphemy. But these things are true of him. This is who he really was. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if... Circle that word, if. That's a very important word. If. Jesus knew that many of the Pharisees that he was speaking to weren't going to come to him. But notice, <laughs> I love the word if. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Notice the operation of the free will here. If. Circle it. They could still make a choice for Christ. It wasn't too late. This is why strict Calvinism is flawed. That word if tears everything apart. Strict Calvinists believe that God is sovereign and man has, is just a, a robot. That God makes his mind up and that's it. There's no, there's no sovereignty, there's no decision in man at all. He's just following a script. But that's not true because God says, for God so loved the world that whosoever would believe in him. That whosoever is a big word. That doesn't mean that God has his favorites. I've, these are going to go and these are not. Now, does God ultimately know who it is? Of course he does. But does he influence the life? No, he gives everybody the opportunity to come to him. But what decision are you going to make? That's the decision we have to make. What decision are you going to make? Are you going to walk around wondering, am I really one of Christ? Am I really going to heaven? Listen, there's no way you're going to go to heaven except through Christ. Jesus said it. There's no one who comes to the Father except through me. Yes, it's exclusive, but it's open to every human being, including the Muslim, including the serial killer, including the murderer, including the extortioner, the adulterer, the fornicator, the drug abuser, you name it. It is open to all. Then they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. Who is he speaking of? 
God the Father. He who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard from him. You might want to write in the margin of your Bible, John 17, and read the whole thing. It's the high priestly prayer of Christ. I've mentioned it a lot in this, in this chapter because there's such a oneness. When you read that, you're going to be blown away at the unity and the, the oneness that Christ has with his Father, that the Father has with the Son, that the Spirit has with the Son, that you and I have with the Son, and thus we have with the Father. The whole thing is like a package deal. I love package deals. Bogos, I love buy one, get one. Buy one car, get one free. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father meaning God the Father. They thought he was speaking of his earthly father, Joseph, who was really no more than a caregiver. He had nothing to do other than raising, being a part of raising Jesus. And then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. What does he mean by this? When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am and that I do nothing of myself, but as the Father has taught me, I speak these things. Jesus is here speaking of his crucifixion, being lifted up. When, you, when I am lifted up, right, isn't that what he says? When you lift up the Son of Man, yes, you're going to be complicit in my murder. They probably didn't even know it at that time, but he already knew what was coming. They hadn't even hatched the plan yet, even though the desire was in their heart. But Jesus was speaking of his crucifixion. And when he said it, when the Son of Man is lifted up, I can't help but wonder if he was referring back to the Old Testament, Numbers 21. Remember when they were going through the desert, and then they began to complain to God and to Moses about the food and the, and the water that they didn't have. And then finally God did give them those things, but they complained. And the, and the Lord sent fiery serpents to bite the people, and many people died because of their anger and their unbelief. And then God told Moses to take a pole and to put a brass serpent on it. And that anyone who looked at that brass serpent, when they were bitten by a serpent and ready to die, if they would just look at the serpent on the pole, the brass serpent, they would be healed. They just had to look. That sounds pretty easy. Believe me, if I get by a coral snake, I'm looking to the, the pole. I'm not going to go, I won't do it. It just doesn't make sense. I'm not going to do it. No, I'm going to look at it until my eyes fall out of my head. The pole was lifted, the serpent, the symbol of sin, made of bronze or brass, the, the metal of judgment, and the pole, the cross. It, it's all typified in Christ as he hung on the cross. Being sin for us, the sin bearer on the cross for you and me. And all we have to do is look to him and we will be saved. And not only just saved physically, but saved eternally. Do you get the difference? They, 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 they look to the brass serpent just to be healed from, and not die. But guess what? We believe in Jesus Christ. Sure, we may physically die if the rapture doesn't take us first. But when we do die, we have everlasting life. Something that brass pole could never give us. But Jesus, we get everlasting life that will never end. I love that, don't you? Verse 29 and. He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. Isn't that a wonderful testimony? Don't you have a desire to please the Lord? 
I mean, just to really love him and to please him and everything. Please him not only just in the things that you see and the things that you do, but please him in the things that you think. And don't get condemned and discouraged when you find your head full of filthy things in some of your most holy moments. Have you had that when you're having your devotions, you're reading the Bible? Perhaps you're in the middle of worship and something comes across your mind, some memory, some filthy thing that you remember, something that you did. Hey, listen, you're just like everybody else. But hopefully as time goes on, we won't meditate on those things. Put it out of your mind. Think on some purpose to think. Purpose to think on something else. I have to do that. When I think of something wicked like that, I purposely start thinking about something else. And I even say it out loud if I have to. And I get my thought on it. And then it fades away. Trust me. Try it. It works. <laughs> think about something else. Think about the Lord. Think about Scripture. Start quoting a verse. And believe me, as you stumble over the verses, you're going to be like, okay, now I've got to really think about this. And all of a sudden, that thought is gone. And don't get condemned. Just confess it and move on. And love the Lord. Do those things that please him. Jesus always did those things that please him. And notice verse 30, as he spoke these words, many believed on him. And then Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Abiding is such a wonderful word. We prove that we are his disciples by abiding in him. Jesus says, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. And every branch that does not bear fruit, I lift up. And every branch that bears not fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. That's God's intention, is for you to bear more fruit and to be healthy. Every branch in me that bears fruit, that doesn't bear fruit, in your Bible it says he takes away, but that word takes away is a verb that means to lift up, to clean off. That's what it means. And yet many people in the church have been beaten up over this verse. And preachers have used this thing, if you don't abide in Jesus, if you're not bearing fruit, he's going to cut you off and throw you off into the fire. Right? You've got to look at the Greek. You've got to look at the original. Because the original says that he lifts it up, he cleans it off, he lets it be exposed to light where it can be dried by the sun. It speaks of a vine. It's a vine dresser. That's what he means. I've seen this in Israel. You see the, the fields full of grapes. And you'll see a muddy hole or a muddy area and the, the vine dresser will come and he'll stick some rocks underneath that thing and put the vine on top of it so it doesn't lay in the water and get rotted and ultimately die with mud and parasites and all kinds of stuff on it. No, he lifts it up. Why? And this is the same verb, the same word he means here. Love that about God. But abide in him. Abide in him. Make Jesus your home and make sure that Jesus is in your home. And anything that's in your home that is not of Jesus, get rid of. Anything that keeps you from Jesus, jettison. Anything in your life that is drawing you apart from Jesus, jettison it. Notice verse 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What a wonderful Thing. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father by, but by me. So if Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, if you know Jesus, you will be free. And once we come to Jesus, we are freed from the wickedness and, and the shackles of sin and condemnation. 
What does this tell us in John 5? Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who has sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from what? From death unto life. Paul in Corinthians says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. I love that. Do you remember the day you got saved? Are you saved? I remember the day I got saved. Everything was dramatic for me. It was like a sledgehammer. One moment I was a rotten, filthy sinner, knowing that I deserved hell. The next moment I realized I was forgiven. The weight, I felt like a gorilla had just gotten off my chest. And I knew I was born again. I knew I was destined for heaven, not because of anything I could have done. It was all about him. I just simply believed. Do you believe? Love the Lord. Verse 33, they answered him and said, We are Abraham's descendants and have never come in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. A slave to sin. Do you remember the demoniac man on the eastern side of the Galilee? Remember him? Shackled. They had to shackle him because he was possessed by many demons. And Jesus approaches him and saves this man, drives out the demons, and the man is in his right mind again. When we go to Israel, we drive right around the, Gal- right around the Galilee on the eastern shore, and you can see those tombs where that event occurred. They're still there today. Where the man was coming out of the tombs, cutting himself with rocks, screaming and yelling, and the devil bent on destroying him, and Jesus saved him. Saved him. He was a slave to sin, but no longer. And a slave does not abide in the house, but a son abides forever. We know that a slave in in the Jewish economy, they would have freedom after seven years. But the son, he would always be in the house with the father. And because he is the son, he would be the heir. And he would have the authority to release someone from their bondage, from their slavery, from their service, or whatever they were doing. Jesus, verse 37, he says, um, I'm sorry, excuse me, the Pharisees. I'm, I'm sorry, Jesus is speaking here. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. And I speak what I have seen with my father. Notice the dependence. It's not just Jesus doing his own thing, being the, his, doing his own show. No, he was doing all those things that was, that, was, that was good with the father. He was obedient to the father, even to the point of death and the death of the cross, Right? He says, and what do you have? And, and, and um, excuse me, I speak what I have seen with my father. And you, you do what you have seen with your father. Now here it's going to get pretty tense. <laughs> and they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Well, what were the works of Abraham? It tells us in Genesis 15. It says that Abraham, after God giving him the Abrahamic covenant, basically from your seed, I'll I'll bless the whole world through you. And what happened in verse 6 of Genesis 15? And Abraham believed the Lord and God accounted it to him for righteousness. He believed by faith what God had said. He says that Jesus was saying to them, if you believed in Abraham, Abraham knew my day. And he saw it. He says, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I have heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the seeds of your father. And then they said to him, well, we weren't born of fornication. We have one father, God. I can almost hear their tone of voice. They still didn't get it. They still thought he was born of fornication. 
Again, not looking into the scriptures. What did the scriptures say? Isaiah 7.14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. They didn't know that. Ignorant of the truth. But Jesus said to him, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Notice, John says, Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God? He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Verse 43, why do you not understand my speech, Jesus says, because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires your father you want to do. Boy, this is getting really heated. And they're doing this face to face. This is not through some kind of Twitter battle. No social media here. He's looking right in their heart, looking right in their eyes. He's saying, your father, the devil, you do the works that he does. And was he qualified to make that statement? Oh, you better believe it. And can you imagine the conviction? Oh, let me tell you. <laughs> he says, you do the works of your father, the devil, and the desires your father wants you to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. He is a liar and the father of it. And I, I'm just blown away by that. See, if you are not under Christ, if you are not in Christ, then you are under the power and the delusion of Satan. That may not sit well with you, but that is the truth. I was my own little God before I came to Christ. I didn't worship the devil, but it didn't matter. Because anything that's not God is demonic in nature. If you worship it, it's demonic. And some people just worship themselves. My own thoughts, my own feelings, what I want to do. Isn't that the sin of Satan? I will ascend above the heights of the north. I will do this. I will do that. No, you're going to be brought to hell, and you're going to be cut down like a branch. Game over, buddy. Isn't that what the Bible says in Isaiah? Not the buddy part. I mean, I'm just, that's the Rob Kellogg version. RKV. Not very inspired, though. Uh, But because I tell you the truth, Jesus says, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Well, the Bible says that the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit. They, they weren't even willing. Their hearts were closed off and they became like a raisin. They just became like a, a raisin that had been dried up. And the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Verse 47, he who is of God hears God's words, and therefore you do not hear because you are not of God. Wow. These men claim to be representing God. And Jesus says, you're not of God. Boy, if you want to really make a religious person angry, just tell them, you don't know God. You want to battle. <laughs> and he was able to do it. But the Bible tells us to test the spirits, doesn't it? Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they have God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And folks, we need to take heed to this scripture today because of all the nonsense and weirdness that's going out in our government and in some churches. We have to be careful. 
We have to listen. We have to pay attention. By this you know the Spirit of God, because every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world, the spirit of Antichrist back then. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world. The Pharisees, the scribes, they are of the world. Therefore they speak of the world, and the world hears them. But we are of God. We who, who knows God hears us, and he who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So important for us to be discerning today. We have to be discerning. A discerning of spirits, first in our own lives, and to be aware, what spirit is in operation here? Because if it's the spirit of God, it's going to point you to Jesus Christ. If it's the spirit of man, it's going to point to a building. It's going to point to a monument. It's going to point to a pedigree. It's going to point to a picture of a man on a wall. Ah, but the spirit of God doesn't do that. He glorifies Jesus. That's what he is called to do. If he's really the spirit of God, he's going to glorify Jesus, not a man. No man, but one man, Jesus Christ. So verse 48, the Jews answered and said to him, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Wow, you're basically calling him a half-breed and also a demon-possessed man. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. That phrase brings chills to my heart. I think that's the only place in the scripture where Jesus said, and you dishonor me. Can you imagine dishonoring Jesus? And the truth be known, I dishonor him. Sometimes, I know you do too. We deceive ourselves. That's why we need to abide in him and walk with him and be quick to confess. And I do not seek my own glory, Jesus said. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Thanatos, the Greek word for the very act of, of dying, the very act of death itself. Jesus was speaking of the second death. We heard about that in Revelation, remember? It says that death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Remember, this was at the great white throne judgment at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ, the final judgment for all wicked dead who have ever died. Thanatos, death, and Hades were cast. Everyone in them in Hades was cast into the lake of fire, which burns forever and ever and ever. And do you think God is happy about that? He's not. The Bible says he doesn't, he doesn't delight in the death of the wicked. He doesn't. Then the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets, and you say, If anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets are dead? What do, you, what do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. Ouch. Them's his fighting words. 
but I do not, but I do know him, Jesus said, and keep his word. And your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. In Hebrews it says, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, remember in Genesis chapter 21, it says, um, he's talk, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11 here, he's talking about that event in Genesis 21. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac, and he, had, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding then that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Abraham saw Jesus' day, and he rejoiced in it. And he saw it then when he sacrificed his son, Isaac, remember? On the altar, he was about to plunge that knife into his son's chest, and the Lord provided a sacrifice for him. Jehovah Jireh, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen, prophesying that hundreds, a couple thousand years down through time, another father would have his son put to death on the cross. It was a type, a figure. Then the Jews said to him, verse 57, You are yet 50 years old, and have you, have, have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Again. And then, notice, the word is ego imi <laughs> in the Greek. And it, Jesus again proclaiming his deity. And you know why we know that? Because look at the very next verse. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. Huh. When he says, I am, those were fighting words again. And Jesus was able to escape out of their hand because his time had not yet come. Jesus, the light of the world. Are you walking in that light of Christ? Do you have the Spirit of God indwelling you, illuminating your path? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and light unto my path. Love that. Walk in the light as he is in the light, and we will have fellowship with one another. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word, Lord, and we thank you Lord, that you're still working, and Lord, that you're still doing these things in our lives. And Lord, that you haven't given up on us. Lord, continue to illuminate our path in front of us, and be that lamp unto our feet, and that light unto our path, Lord God. And may we follow you with all of our heart. And Lord, help us to come to you often, and receive the forgiveness of sin, and to be restored back to you, which is what you desired all along, to be reconciled, us, reconciled back to you. And so, Lord, what can we say to these things other than thank you? We praise you and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.